Welcome, folks, to another week of the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling, and if we haven't met already, I play bass in the Australian metal band Lord. And if you want a little bit of a sticky beak, you want to check us out and see what we're all about, you can go to lord.net.au. We've got a really cool website there with Spotify playlists, video clips, all sorts of music, our back catalogue, history on the band. If you want to get up to date with where we've been and where we're going, it's all over there at lord.net.au. Go and give it a crack. In addition to playing in a heavy metal band, I also host the Self Starter Podcast, which is all about small business, self-employment, and freelancing. So if that's something that floats your boat, you can go to selfstarter.com.au and check that out. There's a blog over there, and you can also find Self Starter in the podcast player that you're listening through right now. This week's shout-outs. Each and every week, I thank somebody that supports me and the podcast, and it can be in a range of different ways. It could be things such as leaving a review somewhere on the internet, like Stitcher or Facebook or Apple Podcasts or wherever. It doesn't matter. Uh, it could be a message of encouragement, a bit of social media love. It could be recommending some guests. Uh, it could be buying some merchandise from the online store. It could be shouting me a beer via the PayPal button over at andysocial.net. Whatever it is, small or big, it helps me. It keeps this whole thing moving. It keeps me in high spirits. And I thank everybody for the continuous support because each and every week I get some really, really cool uh, gestures of support from you guys. It just means a lot and just keeps this whole thing moving. So each and every week, I thank one person on public record, put it out there and show my gratitude for uh, the efforts that people uh, make to support what I love doing. So this week's shout out is for Brendan Blundell. Brendan is the guitarist in Canberra band Matosphere. If you want to check out Matosphere, you can go to matosphere.com.au. I'm sure you can search for Matosphere on Facebook as well. And that's M-A-T-T-E-R-S-P-H-E-R-E. So go and check out that band. Really, really good band. Um, But the reason why Brendan has a shout out this week is that he... A few weeks ago, and I'm playing a little bit of catch-up here, uh, he shared one of the previous episodes of the podcast. That was episode 143 with Stu McGill of Silent Night and Storm, Ro- Storm-, Ooh, geez. Storm Rider Touring. And um, he left a really co- he shared a, shared a post on Facebook and just left this really cool message. And I'll quickly read it out because I just want to demonstrate uh, Brendan's kind words and his gesture. And I quote, What a legend in the Australian metal industry. This man is helping... Ca- Keep Australia's metal scene booming. I can't talk today, guys. I'm so sorry. Some may think it's dying, but you're wrong. There is people out there like Stu that know it's not. Anyone going to Dragonland next week, if you see this man in the crowd, go and buy him a beer or ten. Here's the reason you get this chance. People like Stu and Andy from Lord deserve their cake and can eat it too. I like that. Uh, thank you both for doing what you do for Australia, in Australia for heavy metal. Keep rocking, guys, and thanks again. Thank you, Brennan. Really appreciate it. I love that uh, having our cake and eating it too. Really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as always, um, when you hear this, Brendan, please shoot me a message and I will get something out to you in the post because we all like getting something in the mail and it's my little way of giving back and saying thanks. But once again, guys, if you want to check out Brendan's band, Matosphere, you can go to matosphere.com.au or search for Matosphere in, uh, on Facebook or Instagram or those usual places as well. But thank you very much, Brendan. All right, folks, this week's episode is with Luke Robertson. Luke is a podcaster. He's a blogger. And as of recently, he now claimed the title of an author as well. He's just released a book called Keg, Bottle, Can, which, that's right, folks, it's all about beer. What a subject. You can grab this book from any of the major bricks and mortar book retailers around the country, and no doubt you can pick it up from pretty much every book book retailer online as well, depending on where you live in the world. I'm sure it's pretty easy to find, but I'll put links in the show notes over at andysocial.net, or you should be able to 
check it out in your podcast player as well um, if you want to pick up a copy yourself. But Luke has been talking about beer for, I don't know, like almost a decade, and he's got his own website called aleofthetime.com. He's been blogging about beer for the past eight or so years on that website, and Luke does this full-time. He talks about beer as a full-time gig. I don't know about you guys, but in my eyes, this is a dream job. This is incredibly cool. And uh, in this chat, we talk about, yes, beer, as you would expect. I also ask a bunch of dumb questions, as you would expect. And not only do we touch on some of the podcasting stuff, he's got his own um, Ale of a Time podcast, but he's also got another podcast called the Hypothetical Institute. Now, for anybody that's been listening to the Andy Social Podcast for I don't know, the past 12 months or so or longer, you'll know that uh, sometime last year, I think towards the end of last year, I had Salty on the podcast, Andrew Saltmarsh, and it's Cam, Salty, and Luke that are the hosts of the Hypothetical Institute, the three of them. And it is one of my favorite Australian podcasts. Actually, sorry, I shouldn't even qualify Australian. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It is really, really good if you love uh, taking the piss out of conspiracy theories and just, just really enjoying some of the uh, just comedic elements to a lot of this sort of stuff, definitely go and check out that uh, podcast and you can search for it in your podcast player. But I'll put links, as always, to everything, uh, to Ken's book, to the website, to the blog, to all of his podcasts. Everything will be in the show notes over in, over at andysocial.net. Come on, Andy. But enough of me. Let's just wrap this up now. Please enjoy this really cool chat with Luke Robertson. You know a lot about beer. So yes. when you go out and drink and for anybody else that's drinking with you, uh, you know, I would assume just coming into that sort of setting that um, potentially your knowledge may, uh, may either complement the, the gathering or, or do the opposite. Yeah, people do get uh, sometimes apologetic for what they're drinking around me, <laughs> um, which is, is, is weird. But also, I mean, I think a lot of Beer drinkers, uh, or sorry, beer, beer snobs, or people that know a lot about beer, end up being a little bit snooty about it. Um, so you know, if, if they see someone drinking a four X or whatever, they'll they'll say, "Oh, you can drink something better." But I mean, if people are enjoying what they're drinking, I'm not going to stop them. Uh, there's no need to apologise, um, you know. But if people want to learn about it, I'm always happy to talk about it. I can talk talk for hours on end um, in any situation about beer. So. Yeah. yeah, no, no need to apologise. As my, as my... <laughs> I, every every time one of those um, memory uh, pictures pops up on your Facebook feed each day, and it goes back like ten years, and then there's a photo of me somewhere, you know, going off and playing a show afterwards and drinking like a Carlton Draft or something, and I cringe and go, "Oh my god, that is disgusting!" And then I'm like, "Oh, quick, do I, hopefully no one else is tagged in this photo so they don't bring it back to life." I, I drink much better beer now. I swear, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no shame. We, we've all we've all drunk good beer and we've all drunk bad beer, and, that, and that's yeah, it's all part of the fun, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean. <laughs> It might be a very ob obvious question, but where did the fascination of beer start? And to the extent that it is so detailed now and you're so immersed in this whole culture and this industry, um, and and I don't know, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but you seem to be like this, this a bit of a thought leader now when it comes to the craft beer industry in Australia. Mm, um, it started, I think, pretty much when I was 17 or 18, drinking in pubs in, in small town New Zealand. Um, and in New Zealand, there's a lot more darker beers. Uh, you know, you, every every pub will have a, a dark ale on tap or a dark lager. So, and I, I sort of found I really enjoyed those those beers more than the others. 
Um, but I didn't really think too much of it. You know, I worked in pubs um, for, for a few years and, you know, enjoyed trying the different beers coming through, um, but didn't really put much thought into it past that. And then about eight years ago, I was studying uh, a new media degree, um, just in my in my spare time, basically. Uh, and I part of that was to start a blog and a Facebook and a Twitter and, you know, all that kind of a thing. Uh, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll do it about beer because, you know, at the time, food bloggers were kind of big and I was getting, they were getting a lot of free stuff sent to them. I had a food blogger that worked in the office that I was in and she was always getting free stuff. And I thought, well, if I do it about beer, maybe someone will send me some free beer. <laughs> um, and when I started doing it, I, I kind of realized that the beer culture in Australia was at the time just, it was really small, a small community, mm. but it was just kind of starting to take off. And, um, you know, there's, only a handful of breweries, but people started to pay more attention to it. And there was, you know, a couple of bars were opening up doing interesting beers. And I, I guess kind of realized how fun it all was. And, and the, the whole, you know, industry was, um, I guess it was a really nice community. And I thought, well, I, I'm sort of learning a lot about doing social media and blogging and all that. Um, I studied journalism years ago, so I was kind of familiar with, with writing, um, and writing news stories. So, yeah, I just started applying it more to that to the beer stuff and really enjoying it. Um, and from there, you know, I started picking up um, writing work, um, and we launched a podcast, and, and that kind of got a bit of traction as well. So um, about three years ago, I ended up thinking, well, if I am getting work without really putting in much effort, um, I should quit my job and try to put in a lot of effort and see if I get more work. <laughs> Good logic there. Yeah, yeah. I, and, you know, I was, I guess, in a, in a pretty fortunate position where um, my girlfriend was, was definitely all for me doing it, which is, which is nice. Mm. Um, and I'd just come up to 10 years at my old job and it was a sort of a corporate management kind of job. So, Perfect. you know, I did have a, a little bit of money um, to, to, I guess, play with, for lack of a better word, mm. um, and try and make it happen because, you know, it hasn't, I guess, been easy to get people to pay me to, to write about beer and talk about beer. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of appreciate how lucky I am to, to be able to give it a shot. Um, and for the last three years, that's what I've been doing. It's, um, I mean, if someone just sees it on a surface, like just on the surface of what you're doing now, I mean, you're you're making a living yeah. talking about beer. Yeah. yeah. And and that's 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 pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I um you know, I, I even my worst days are still pretty good um cuz you know, at the end of the day I'm I'm writing about beer or talking about beer and uh yeah, so it's, it's all good. Yeah, and you I think you would have come in as you said before like when you sort of were starting starting the blogging and sort of getting that all up and running the the whole craft beer sort of world in Australia was still it, very much in its infancy sort of stage. So it was very small and that explosion hadn't quite happened yet. So you, I mean, your timing was really good because you've pretty much grown with the industry as it's exploded over, over the last several years. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think that, that was pure luck or, or maybe, you know, it was kind of, if those beers weren't sort of popping up and, and happening, there probably wouldn't have been anything to write about. And I probably would have stopped doing it pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, probably, I might have stayed with my, my degree and finished it. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, I guess, so, I guess I was fortunate that those little beers and the, the events were starting just to, to pop up because they, they certainly weren't around, you know, five years prior to that. Um, so, yeah, I guess it was, yeah, I guess, yeah, luck is, is definitely a big part of it. But, um, yeah, good timing. 
what what do you think, or what were the first sort of things that you, when you first started writing um, and doing your blog? Um, what were the sort of the main topics that you were covering at the time? Because I, I know that sort of looking at some some of the more recent stuff that you've been doing, you're, you're speaking a lot about, and I haven't read the book yet, but I'm getting a mm. gist of just sort of the the summaries and the and descriptions out there is that you're talking a lot about the user, the end user, the drinker, and their experience with beer and, and how that complements, you know, everything else around it, food and, and, you know, what you're drinking out of and, you know, the type of beer. And um, I think there was even a blog post that you put up just recently about, uh, you know, use by dates or, you know, the best the best time to drink beer to get the the freshness of, of that beer. Um, yeah. What were the sort of things that you were writing, back, writing about to begin with um, just to get the whole thing started? Um, initially it was just beer reviews. Um, so I think every Sunday I'd just grab a, a new beer, sit down and drink it and, and write about it. Um, and it was as simple as that, really. I kind of had a, a pretty basic format that I stuck to. Um, and I think making the time to do it on a Sunday, it was kind of a nice, nice part of my week. Um, you know, it didn't feel like work and, um, there was there wasn't really any pressure to do anything interesting with it. Um, just you know, get, write my thoughts about a beer. So uh, that yeah, that's that's where it started from. And and I think I mean I've certainly experienced this attempting to blog in general, and it's yeah. such a, a it can be a soul destroying process because you're really sort of at the mercy of yourself and putting yourself out there and writing and, and obviously, you know, um, getting criticism and more or less just actually just trying to keep the momentum going of creating content. Um, mm. I think you sort of answered the question already, but, you know, having that Sunday routine, did that keep you going just to in, ensure that you continued to create those blog posts and create that content in the early days? And even now, I mean, there's so much content that you've put on this website. Um, do you, have you created routines for yourself just to ensure that you stay on top of it all? Um, definitely in the, in the start and, and same with the podcast as well. Um, you know, when, when we launched the podcast, uh, one of the problems with, with other beer podcasts in Australia is they were really intermittent. Hmm. Um, you know, there's maybe two at the time and, and they were, you know, I, I came to the problem where I wanted to listen to them every week, uh, but they weren't uploading content. And I thought, well, if I'm out here wanting that, then there's probably a lot of other people that want it. So, um, you know, I, I grabbed my mate Dave, who I, I really liked chatting beer with, and he was a blogger as well. And I said, you know, do you want to do this um, and commit to it fortnightly? Um, and we were fortunate enough to have a studio available to us, so we just basically um, booked the studio every every two weeks, and that you know that forced us to well, not forced us, but you know, it, it was part of our schedule, so we just did it. Um, now I guess things are a little bit looser than they were. Um, you know, sometimes the podcast might be um, a little bit later, like this week it was a little bit later just because, um, you know, things come up and, um, you know, in the, in the real world. But, you know, we always sort of do make sure we do it fortnightly. Um, so I guess having that, I guess having that regime or that, um, what do you call it, schedule early on, yeah, it definitely helped. But these days I think I am doing so much that I just kind of do stuff when I can do it um, and have the time and, yeah. Well, I, guess, and I, I guess it also I guess it also helps to do something that you really enjoy doing as well. You know, yeah. as I said at the, at the start, reviewing a beer on a Sunday afternoon 
is a really nice way to spend, you know, some quiet time. Uh, or same with the podcast, getting to hang out with Dave every fortnight. It's a great way to hang out with a, f- a friend that you probably wouldn't, you know, make time to hang out with as regularly. So, um, yeah, it's because I enjoy doing it. It doesn't make it, you know, it's a schedule, but it's not that hard to keep up. Well, yeah, that's, I think that's probably the secret source, isn't it? You know, you'd, you, as long as you're enjoying doing what you're doing, then you'll make the time and you'll be able to follow through and, and make sure that it's maintained and the momentum stays there. But it's, um, I just, I mean, when I looked at, at your website and sort of looked at the, the about section and said 2010 when you first launched, I thought, oh man, that is a, that is a long time <laughs> to yeah. talk about beer to begin with, which, I mean, I, I love beer, but I don't know how much I could talk about it. And... <laughs> And to be consistent as far as just continuing to have a website that exists and then obviously building off it and creating the podcast and now you've got a book as well. It's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, uh, what's the, what's the word? It's, it, it's just a lot of sort of self-talk that would be needed just to keep everything moving. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, getting the, getting the response that, that I've got to some, some things that I do, um, you know, these days, a lot of the stuff that I put up on the website is a lot more opinion-based. Mm. And, um, you know, I do some kind of regular um, satirical stuff as well, um, which gets a really good response because, you know, I don't think anyone really does that. Um, so getting that response helps, you know, encourage me to keep going. Uh, so, you know, if I was still doing reviews, I probably would have given up ages ago. Um, I'd, I'd be pretty bored pretty quickly. And I, and I think that's probably in my nature. If I, you know, I need to keep myself entertained mm. if I'm doing something. Um, and, you know, reviews don't entertain me so much anymore. And um, But, you know, having a, making a, a satirical article is, is fun and enjoyable. So, um, and that, you know, that comes across in the response as well, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, in the early days when you're just doing reviews to begin with, were, were, you, were you getting any feedback from the different makers out there that were coming across these reviews? Were, were you getting any sort of initial response, especially if you're giving something that had a little bit of a, a touch of criticism to it? Yeah, definitely. There was, um, there was, you know, at the time the, the industry was so small that, you know, anyone talking about um, beer beer was, was exciting, I guess, because no one was, no, people were doing it, but not that many, uh, you know, these days, if you're a brewer, you get tagged in on bloody 16 Instagram photos a day. But back then it was, you know, me and um, two or three other bloggers doing it. So, uh, you know, the, the industry itself was really supportive and encouraging. Um, and, you know, they, they'd love, yeah, anytime you said something nice, um, they, they'd share it around. So, yeah, that, that definitely helped to have an industry that, that was, I guess, in that phase of, of building. And did you have to cop any any sort of flack for any sort of the harder sort of reviews that you've done for particular brews? I don't think so. There are, there are definitely a handful of breweries out there that probably don't like me so much. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that is because I've, I've been quite critical of things like labelling um, and copyrights mm. uh, and, you know, things like um, using a, quite quite a, popular one at the moment is using um, black American culture and labels. Mm. Um, and a lot of it is done to me, I, I think quite as quite offensive, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, Biggie Smalls, for example, is on many labels and it's kind of just taking his image and then making a little joke about it. Yeah. 
And I, I kind of, you know, there's, there's a lot of history around black culture, which I don't think we really understand in Australia. So I, 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 that kind of annoys me. Um, so I am quite vocal about that kind of a thing. And, and people tend to get their back up if you criticise, you know, their labels. And, and that's fair. Um, but, yeah, so I guess, yeah, there are there are a few breweries that, that don't like me so much. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, it probably help your your reputation in the industry by not just being somebody that praises everybody left, right and centre because you just love beer and, and let's be friends with everybody. You're, you're balanced with your approach and you're logical with the way that you, you know, approach, approach what you do. And so I think people then can develop a lot more respect for, for you as an individual, not just, you know, somebody that just writes about beer and, and that's it. So I think obviously while you're probably getting a few people, a uh, few people's backs up a bit, um, it's probably it's probably still helping helping with your reputation overall. Yeah, definitely that and that um, that kind of support when there are breweries that I really respect and and really love when they um, you know get in touch and and tell me how much they're enjoying what I do. Um, you know, it, it's the breweries that I that I like that tend to you know see what I'm doing as as good as well. Um, so that's you know that's really cool. Um, and I guess. You know, in the next month, I'm headed up to Brisbane um, to help out with Stone and Woods um, big festival they're, they've, they're organising up there. Um, it was just announced in the last day or so, and they've asked me to, to come up and do the forums um, and the masterclasses up there. And, you know, they're a brewery that I, I just adore for, for what they do. So, yeah, on that flip side, um, it's, it's cool when, you know, places you respect do, do sort of come out and support what you're doing. Are you, are you seeing a lot more of that? these days especially now with with your book out that you know it's sort of i think no doubt over the last eight years of just creating content and having a blog and and having the podcast you've probably already got to that point where people know who you are and and you've got a reputation but do you think the book has has helped further validate you as a critic and somebody that is extremely knowledgeable in the industry so you know having this example of you know stone and wood approaching you to to be a part of what they're doing, are you starting to see a lot more of that or that's accelerated or amplified since the book has come out? Um, I don't think so, to be honest. Mm. Um, I I think maybe it sort of helps me cross over um, into the wider, you know, food and drink culture rather than just beer. Um, I think, you know, that kind of a book within the beer world is – it's hard to get the beer world excited about that kind of a book because, right. uh, you know, it's, it is, um, we, we've seen similar books in the past and, and, um, I don't want to talk down my book because I, <laughs> I certainly approached it. I, I approached it completely differently than, than, you know, anyone else has done, I think. But, um, you know, yeah, outside of the beer world, I think that, that helps, I guess, my, my status as, you know, someone that, that you can talk to if you need beer information or, or, um, yeah, uh, I guess someone that's trusted within the beer world. It's nice to have, it's nice to have, it's all, I, I look at books these days as like an extension of a business card, you know, I mean, it's a very large business card, but it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's something that sort of is attached to your name and your reputation. It's something that you can um, refer to or refer people to, especially if you're being introduced for the first time or you're trying to, to get recognized in a particular space or with a particular individual. It's just, I think it's just an extra little feather in the, in a hat, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, um, I'm not great at, at self-promotion, unfortunately. So um, it is kind of a, yeah, it is a good thing to, if people aren't really sure what I do, uh, you know, I, I still get introduced 
as a blogger by people that know me really well. Um, and, you know, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not begrudging that. But now I can sort of say I'm an author, um, which has that kind of you know, gravitas mm. uh, without me needing to, I guess, talk myself up and what I do because I'm not really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Whenever, when anybody ever says that they're a writer or an author, then people usually raise their eyebrows and go, oh, yeah, yeah, sure you are. And then it's like, oh, no, here, hey, I've actually got a physical book. Like, yeah, there you go. It exists. Yeah. 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 Uh, where did the, the idea from the book come from and how long – has this been something that sort of popped up really quickly and, and there's been a light bulb moment where you go, oh, look, let's, let's make this happen? Or is this something that's sort of been sitting there for the last several years where it's like, oh, something that I do want to do eventually? Um, and it, I guess this is going to sound awful because there are a lot of people out there struggling to get books published, but it did kind of fall in my lap. Um, where a friend of mine, James Smith, who does the website, the crafty pint, um, and he started doing what he does about the same time as me. And he published, um, the previous two previous editions of this, this book, um, or, or similar versions of this book where it was, um, 150 great Australian beers. And, you know, it was um, 15, uh, 10 categories of style and then 15 beers within each style. And he basically didn't have time to do it again. Um, it just happened every, it happens every two years. And so we, he put my name forward to the publisher and they approached me. And I sort of talked over with them and said, I don't really want to do the book by style. I, I don't think it's really exciting for, um, people, you know, outside of the beer world, it doesn't have much application. And mm. to be honest, um, breweries lie all the time about what style their beer is, <laughs> where they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll call it a pale ale and then they'll enter it in a completely different category and the awards that, you know, the big beer awards. So it, it sometimes it's difficult for consumers to really know what they're getting based on a style. So I suggested we do it by, occasion um so you know the, the best times to drink the beer so if you are not sure about what beer you want to get or what styles are interesting if say if you want to go to a barbecue um you can pick this book up and go oh here's 15 examples and, and why they are interesting to have at a barbecue um or 15 examples of of beer to have with um you know a, a nice meal at a dinner party so you know it's um I guess I really wanted to make it practical to, to people that might not want to learn everything about beer, but just want to have a nice beer at a nice time. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. Um, they approached me, I think it was August last year and I had about a three month deadline. So it was kind of a short turnaround in terms of the writing. And then there was about two months to edit it as well. So um, it was a really intense process. Um, the editing, I can only the editing was terrifying. <laughs> um, you know, the, I'd, I'd never met the editor before, and um, I've met only met her once briefly. But she basically took apart, you know, sixty thousand words of mine and told me why they weren't good. So <laughs> um, that process is, is really tough. But you know, it, it did it worked. Uh, you know, it came out so much better as a result. Um, you know, I think editors do the most work on these things, and um, you know, it was yeah. An, make, an interesting journey. Make everyone look good. Yeah, definitely, man. My my grammar and my spelling and everything is is horrible. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the editors that that I have now that I've, I have access to, um, man, they make me look so much better than I am. <laughs> when you were approached last year about it and what the concept and the opportunity to 
to do your your sort of version of of what had been sort of published previously did you were you sort of reluctant like at the time or sort of going oh geez i don't know if i can do this or was it sort of a thing where it was like uh, there's there's no other answer but yes i mean i know that you said you had to sort of not negotiate but you had to go back and say well this is something that I would like to do. It's a different type of or different version of what's been done in the past. But mm. was there was there a hesitation at all? But going, oh, geez, this is a bit of a daunting task. Not really. I think it it is what you said. Um, you, you can't turn this kind of thing down. Yeah. You know, it, it's probably not the book that I envisioned writing. You know, when I dreamed of being a writer as a, a teenager. Um, but it's, you know, it's an incredible opportunity and it, it did give me a chance to, I guess, get my voice across to a, to a bigger audience. Um, you know, and I'm really stoked that the the publisher was all, you know, on board for that idea um, immediately. So, you know, that that's kind of cool. And I don't I don't even really know what I would have done if they had said, no, let's just do it the same way. Um, I probably would have, would have still done it. But, um, you know, I guess it, it wasn't – it didn't come up. So I guess yes from me was the only answer. One of the things you said before with, I guess, the premise of the book and, and the approach that you're taking is that you, you wanted to appeal to a wider range of people and people that just aren't immersed in the beer world and, and have that fascination at a, at a deeper or more detailed level of craft beer and, and different variations. And and I think, I think you sort of nailed it on the head where a lot of people just don't know what they're drinking half the time. And I think, mm. I mean, me, me as well. I mean, when I walk into a bottle shop or into a bar or a pub, you know, I'm looking at the taps and it's whatever's on the tap is what I'm drinking and it's what that taste is. And you don't think about it until somebody mm. sort of points it out and you go, oh, I'm really sort of reliant on the visual. I'm reliant on the information that's in front of me rather than my taste buds actually telling me what I'm drinking. And it's mm. just so funny from a psychological point of view. And you touched on it before, and I definitely wanted to pick your brain about all the sort of advertising uh, gray areas and, and the copyright and all this sort of stuff that's been that's popped up over the last few years with craft beer, where we're really attracting all these people to this this world. But it's it's very much on a visual aspect. I mean, I, I think a lot of the time I could be drinking something that's pretty subpar, but if the packaging's shit hot, then I'm going, oh, yeah, this is not bad. And I'm actually more inclined to, you know, I use that untapped app, and I'm more inclined yep. to rate it a little bit higher if, you know, that visual is is pretty good because it's it's sort of psychologically putting me in a position where that it's it's adding to the experience of drinking drinking the beer like like you know what you drink out of the can or the bottle or a, or a particular glass as well it's all sort of adding into it but i think sometimes that visual um is probably weighted a little bit too much mm i i agree um you know the the work that designers do and, and artists do to to make beautiful labels um is sometimes forgotten about and that aspect, you know, there's kind of a few sayings in the beer world of, you know, don't worry about it, everything else, it's, it's what's in the glass that counts. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of, I never really liked that because to get the beer into your glass, there has been so many other people than, than just the brewer. Uh, you know, there's the accountant, there's the people funding it, there's the people making the, the beautiful artwork um, to put this whole package together. And I think breweries that do go to that effort to, to make a nice package um, and make a, a nice story and, and all those, you know, beautiful things that come with it um, generally make better beer. Uh, you know, and, and it's certainly not true for all of them, but doing the book, um, one of the chapters was about beer with, with really nice labels and, you know, the, the artwork that I really enjoy. 
and when I come to when I was making the list of of the beers, I realised that they are all probably from my favourite brewers or, or the best brewers in Australia. So um, I thought that was really interesting. You know, the, the brewers making the most artistic labels and the most thought out labels are also doing the most interesting beer. Well, I think it's I think something that like I've noticed personally, but especially a lot of friends as well that have have gone from your mainstream beers and then suddenly having a fascination of it's almost like the Pokemon Go of of beer, where you're going around and just collecting as many different beers and trying as many as you can and adding them to your Untapped app, and just this real exciting time for just getting out there and, and enjoying beer. But mm. um, I've certainly seen it's like anything, you know, when when something is um, getting attention and there's a bit of a momentum being created um you know everybody else jumps on the bandwagon and i've certainly seen those mainstream uh, brewers and you know they, these these companies sort of jumping on the bandwagon to try and create their own version of what they believe is a craft beer and i think we we had a bit of a thing back and forth um oh it might have been a month or two ago about what is craft beer because i mm-hmm. i was at a where was I? I was at a restaurant. It might have been a Cactus Jacks or something up in Queensland, and they had a list of craft beers. And I think the only craft beer that was it wasn't even it wasn't even a craft beer because everything else was just an imported beer. But there was like a I think it was one fifty lashes, and they called that a craft beer. And mm. and so I think there's been a reaction from a lot of the mainstream guys to try and put themselves into a position where their packaging sort of makes people think that they are a craft beer or they've got the craft beer sort of essence to it that then attracts, you know, your, your fence sitters, the people that have been primarily drinking twoies and four X and, and Carlton and all these sort of, uh, you know, these mainstream beers and getting them excited about something that's a little bit different. Mm. I mean, uh, one of the big things is they, they kind of have to at the moment because uh, the VBs and the four Xs are losing market share pretty rapidly. Mm. And they're seeing all these other small brewers pop up, um, and so they're having to, I guess, diversify and create labels and um, and, and then buy out, you know, smaller companies. Uh, we've seen quite a few buyouts in the last twelve months, mm. um, where you know breweries that, that were really exciting and right on that edge of of good craft beer. Um, when you think of say Pirate Life, for example, down in, in South Australia, yep. you know they were. Um, they were making just amazing beer, um, doing it, you know, their own way. I, there was kind of a, I guess, people always assumed I'd eventually sell the brewery. Like it seemed, you know, built almost to sell um, in terms of the ownership structure. Uh, but, yeah, they, then they get bought out by AB InBev, um, you know, who's the biggest beer company in the world. They have 33% of all the global market share in the beer industry. Um, so then that, that discussion becomes, okay, a pirate life still craft now or not craft. And it's, I guess for me, I try and avoid that discussion because it comes down to judgment calls and value calls where, um, sure, pirate life are now owned by the huge beer company. Um, but a, another brewery that, that can call themselves independent might have big private equity investment, um, which, you know, is fine for a lot of people. They don't really judge that as, you know, a problem. It's only if it's owned by a beer company it's a problem. And I don't know if you know much about private equity, but it's generally not the nicest uh, ownership of any company because they kind of, the whole thing is to gut and sell, really. <laughs> so, um, you know, we kind of deem that as okay in the beer world for, for a really arbitrary reason. And, you know, in the case of Pirate Life, um I, you know, I probably wouldn't buy their beer that often anymore. 
Um, you know, if it's if I'm looking for an easy drinking six pack, uh, I'll probably hover over them and, and get something local to me um, that I know is independent. And that's not because I dislike them and think they made a bad decision. It's just they have enough money now. They don't need my support. Um, whereas the small brewer down the road probably does need that six pack um, a lot more, um, you know, that purchase a lot more than they do. So, you know, I, I can, I guess for me, I choose based on those value judgments um, rather than what, you know, the difference between craft and not craft, because you just tie yourself in knots really. Do you think that, I mean, I guess out there in, in the general public, and there's a lot more people that have developed a fascination for this whole world, that there needs to be more awareness around not so much creating these these clear distinctions because it can get quite, quite uh, grey as far as, you know, um, where people sit and, and people's motivations and, you know, I guess, you know, the... Uh, where where that that brand and that company um, wants to go and where they're going and what their current status is, but do you think there needs to be more awareness around, I guess, the independence and for people to get out there and support? I mean, uh, you know, from a music point of view, well, we've certainly sort of embraced embraced you know the the independent artist and and supporting local music and supporting local uh, you know industry that's that's in turn supporting the artist. Do you think that? there needs to be more awareness around that? Or is that something that's already sort of been elevated and has been a focus for a little while now with, with I guess, the beer industry? So um, we do have a, an association that kind of is trying to build that awareness. Um, and they were initially called the Craft Brewers Association. I can't remember the, the actual – I think it was Craft Brewers Association. Um, and they changed about a year ago or a year and a half ago to the Independent Brewers Association. And that was kind of – for them to, to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, we want to promote breweries that don't have big brewery ownership and here's how we're going to do it. Um, you know, if you are owned by a, a big brewery, we're not going to promote you. We're going to promote the little guys. So, you know, th- that kind of thing um, and, and having, I guess, having it built around independence really helps because it kind of, you know, it, it takes away um, whether it's good or bad beer because, um, you know, the, the big breweries make some great beer and the small breweries make some terrible beer, um, you know, and it makes it about that, you know, that, that locality and the um, the value value judgments that you have in your day-to-day life, you know. As you said, in music, you know, getting down to support a local band um, is great, and sure, it might not be, um, I don't know, it might not be stadium rock quality, but um, it's a great experience to go to your local, band, your local pub and see a great band or a local band versus... It's the same with a, a local brewery. If you go visit a, a local brewery, you, you're probably going to have a good experience. Um, it might not be the best beer in the world, but it's a nice place to have sit and have a beer and support you know support your community. Um, so, yeah. With with a lot of these independents, I mean, I don't know how deep into the mechanics we should go because it, it, I think people lose interest if they haven't already. <laughs> my question, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, with these independent guys trying to get out there and get awareness, and obviously, yeah, you mentioned the association that's there that's gonna that is helping support and, and get exposure for these independent guys. But you know, things such as distribution and trying to get the product into places, whether it be, you know, a, a particular pub or trying to get into a local bottle shop and things like that. I mean, I've, I, I don't know a lot about it, but from what I have sort of heard from other people that distribution is a, a big, a big thing. And it's a very, mm. it can be a very difficult thing uh, to sort of master. And so I think for a lot of independents, no doubt, this would be a big sort of hurdle that they have to sort of jump over on top of just getting the awareness out there. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and in Australia, uh, breweries can can basically buy taps. So, you know, you go into your local pub and you see they're all owned by, or they're probably all owned by the same company, and that's because that company has basically signed that uh, pub up to, you know, we'll give you a good deal if we have your taps forever, basically. So that means, you know, the local brewery down the road will never be able to get that beer into that pub. Uh, they might get it into the fridge, but not many people really look in the fridges at their pub. They, they just head to the taps. So, um, and there's been a lot of discussion about that um, in the industry and trying to change that. And, you know, unfortunately, it's, it seems like it's here to stay, uh, which is, you know, it is a shame. Um, I, I get why publicans do it um, because, you know, someone says, hey, we're going to make it, you're going to make more money if you sign this contract. And of course, they're going to do it. Um, and smaller breweries, you know, independent breweries do that now as well, increasingly, where they, you know, if there is a, a pub that doesn't have contracted tax, they'll say, hey, we'll give you a good deal if you put us on. So that that, that has been a big hurdle. Um, and the distribution into, you know, Liquorland and Dan Murphy's, uh, places like that has been difficult. But I think those companies, and, and Dan Murphy's especially, are, are realising that pe- this is what people want. And if that's what people want, and they're not going to buy the other stuff, then they're going to have to sell it, really, uh, which is a cool thing. You know, it's it's being driven by consumers a lot because there's no there's no big ad budgets for the small guys. Yeah, definitely. And I've I've even seen like even some of those smaller, uh, you know, bottle shops that you know the liquor stacks and um, the little bo- bottler, and there's a few other little ones around the place that you know I think traditionally in the past you you probably wouldn't go in there unless you're going to go and buy one of the mainstream beers because the beer fridge would only be a small part and the rest would just be, you know, your wines and everything else. And now you can go into a lot of these smaller places and and actually be quite surprised with, with what they've actually got. And there's a lot of independent stuff in there. So it's almost a case of instead of buying a six-pack, you're sort of just picking one can and one bottle and just going through and just collecting as many different ones as you can to sample everything. So it's mm. I, I've definitely noticed that more recently where a lot of these smaller guys that have been traditionally sort of just for your your mainstream crowd have um, have sort of caught up a little bit and decided, well, as you said before, like with Dan Murphy's and Liquorland, this is what people want, so we've we've actually got to start listening and, and meet the demand. Yeah, and that's and that's cool. Um, you know, it, as you said, you you can go in there and basically plan out a, a fun journey of different beers based on their labels or whatever. And uh, you know, some people in the industry complain about that and say, "Oh, it's so hard because you know consumers aren't buying bulk; they're just buying one or two of our product and then one or two of someone else's." Um, but for a consumer, it's awesome because. <laughs> You can go and do that, and, you know, how fun is that? Um, and you might as well make it fun if you're having a beer. I've actually found as well, I mean, I mean, I've, I've, everybody that knows me knows that I love to have a beer. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think almost every photo that pops up on social media has usually got a beer in my hand somewhere and drinking somewhere. So I've, I've developed some probably uh, not the best reputation at times. <laughs> it looks like I'm just <laughs> drinking 24-7. Um but I've certainly actually I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> I got so immersed on the on the fact of uh, me drinking beer that oh sorry yeah yeah no I'll get back on track. Um, but yeah, going going into a bottle shop and seeing like there's just so many different varieties of of beers there. I've seen personally for myself that the intention around drinking has changed. I think mm. for me 
it's and I think this might just be age as well. You know, you get older and start to see things a little bit differently, and maybe the word maturity kicks in as well. But <laughs> but you you certainly look at uh, the way that I approach beer is very different to what it has been years gone by, where. I'm far more intentional about what I pick up. Um, you know, I'm not going for the case. I'm not going for quantity. I'm certainly going for quality and for variety. And I think as a result, certainly more recently, I drink far less volume wise, but my variety has increased tenfold. And so I'm, I'm more excited about beer than ever before because there's just so much out there to try and experience. But the, the whole thing around consumption has just completely changed. And I've noticed that with a lot of other people that I associate with as well, where there's just this real excitement about what they're drinking rather than the amount that they're drinking or even the alcohol content as well. I mean, that's another thing that I've noticed is that those mid strengths sort of got a little bit of, uh, of the spotlights, you know, more recently. And even some light beers have been celebrated and I've seen people that traditionally would always just be boasting about the alcohol content are actually embracing light beers. And so mm. it's, it's become more than just consumption. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's, that's one thing the industry's um, doing really well is making it fun, um, you know, making it kind of a family activity, for lack of a better word, where, you know, going and going to a brewery, um, you can take your dog, you can take your kids, you can have one or two really interesting beers. Uh, there's a good selection for everyone and everyone kind of feels welcome. Um, you know, that's that's really cool to see. Um, and, you know, when I think of places in, here in Melbourne, um, Stomping Ground's a really good example. It's a huge brew pub. It's a massive place. Um, but they've got a, a play area for the kids with, like, a cubby house and drawing stations and stuff like that. So, you know, the vibe in the in the um, the brew pub is really nice. It's a really fun, you know, welcoming place to drink. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's helped change beer's persona is this beer, you know, this drink for – for guys in the pub that have a bit of a beer gut and, um, you know, you see the Carlton ads with the guy spitting and when he's talking and things like that, like mm. all these negative perceptions, we're, we're able to change them and say, actually, you don't need to drink in a shitty pub um, as much as I love doing that. You can, you know, you can go to a nice place uh, where they have nice food and um, there'll be a, a beer and a, a really good wine and, you know, everyone's catered for, which is really fun. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's certainly helped with people easing into you know their own comfort zone as far as what they actually want out of you know their own drinking experience. And I think you know certainly me, just from my own personal experiences growing up, and when you when you turn eighteen, you're going out to pubs, and you you're certainly wanting to create a perception because you know you're 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 there drinking with people of all sorts of ages and and you're you're just you've just turned uh you know 18 and you're an adult and so you're you want to you know you're drinking the heart the sort of the full strength beers and you want to make sure that you're drinking the right thing i remember going to a pub and asking for a drought and not realizing that it was a draft <laughs> and the, and the, the girl, the, yeah, the girl behind the par, behind the bar, just looked at me like I was a complete idiot. And I went, I don't know. She goes, it's a draft, love. And I go, oh, sorry. All right, no worries. You know, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget that ever again. But there was, I think, yeah, it, maybe it's a it's a bloke thing, it's a guy thing as well, where we just want to make sure that we we're, we're seen to, in a certain light and all these sort of things that have been stereotypically around beer drinking culture over the years, especially in Australia as well. We've always been seen as a big beer drinking nation. Um, you know, our stereotypes over the years, especially from the 80s, the seventies and the eighties has been 
about a certain perception of of the way that we consume alcohol. And I think people have been a little bit afraid or reluctant to deviate from that path. And I think now that, you know, as you said, like drinking establishments are uh, a little bit more sophisticated in, in certain certain aspects and they're embracing a wider range of people that I think people are more more confident with the way that they choose to drink alcohol to choose to drink it and it's not just about hey i got smashed on the weekend and i drank this much and you know how good am i because i was able to hold that many that many drinks or i'm drinking this because it's uh, you know it's over six percent or whatever it is and people can drink whatever they want because they appreciate the taste or as you said before you know the the, the brand themselves and what they do as an independent business you, there's a lot more reasons to to like particular types of beer Mm, mm. And you touched on something there about sort of the blokiness, um, you know, being seen to be drinking what your mates are drinking and all that. Um, and, you know, I, I host events and tastings and um, pool beer at festivals and the blokes are the worst. The, you know, the, the blokey blokes, they, they, don't, they don't like beer. They actively dislike beer. They, they like the beer that they drink. <laughs> and if it, if it doesn't taste like that, they, they get so upset and so like, you know, oh, what is this? Oh, I don't want to try anything else. This is, and it's like, you get, it, they're really hard to win over. And, you know, it's quite interesting. Um, I remember I was pouring beers at a, a beer festival a while back and we had, there's two breweries, both had a pale ale and both had a dark beer. And, the blokes would come up and say, oh, I'll get the two pale ales. I'm like, oh, you know, you don't want to try one of each kind of a thing because it was, you know, samples you were getting. And like, no, nah, just the, the two easiest drinking ones. <laughs> Whereas the the women that were coming up were like, oh, I'm not really sure I like beer, but, you know, it's all, you know, part of the ticket, so I'm going to get one. I'm like, well, you want to try the, the dark beer? It's got, you know, coffee, chocolate flavors. You know, it's got all these really fun things. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Um, and I reckon it was probably – Oh, maybe 50% more women were going to all the, the dark beers than men. Um, it's just because they don't have that perception in their head of what beer is supposed to be. Or as blokes, it's ingrained that, you know, the beer that you drink is this one and it's golden and it tastes not much like anything else. You know, it just tastes a bit nothing. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're hard to win over and, you know, it's kind of disappointing. Um, we're getting there, but, yeah. I think it's it's much like sort of um, you know your sporting team culture as well. So you've got your brand, and that's sort of your identity. And so you've you've carved out your own identity around that brand. So you know, I certainly know people that just religiously drink to his new and nothing else. And so mm. when, when when I'm drinking with those people, and I've got you know something that's uh, that they've never seen before, they don't even know what it is. It's like, well, what's that fancy shit? <laughs> or you know, yeah, yeah, and or especially if they they taste it and they go, oh, what is this? This is not beer. And so you go, well. Yeah. Oh, actually, it's just an IPA, you know. Yeah. And, and it's, but it, it it conflicts with their identity. They've, you know, created an identity around what they drink. And, and it's one facet of their life, you know, their job, their what they drink, the, the music they listen to, or whatever it is, it all comes back to, you know, depicting who they are as a person. So I think mm. a lot of people get very stubborn with their own ego and think that, uh, you know, I stick to what I know and that's what, and that's, that's who I am. And, and that's it. And so it's, it is very hard. And unfortunately, um, you know, and I hate to stereotype a lot, but you know, a lot of guys do get stubborn with, with change as well. And, mm. and it's, mm. it's a perception out there of, you know, if change, you know, is seen as a bit of a vulnerability as well. Mm. Um, so it's, it's very difficult, but I've certainly seen over the years, you know, a lot of people that have 
you know, in the past been very, very stubborn about what they do and uh, in life in general, but have definitely opened themselves up and tried a lot of different things and beer being one of them as well, where they've sort of gone, actually, this is a really good idea of, of actually trying something apart from my, my go-to beer. Like it's, it's actually fun and this is interesting and, you know, I'm actually celebrating this and not just feeling silly or vulnerable by, you know, deviating away from something that uh, I've, I've identified with for so long. Mm, definitely. And I think that is, again, testament, testament to the, the community that the beer has kind of created where, um, you know, we're, we're actively encouraging people to come and taste things. And I certainly don't want people to, you know, change, uh, what they drink if they don't want to. Um, you know, if someone likes knocking off work on a Friday and drinking the same beer, like, and they get enjoyment out of that, then that's great. They're, you know, they're living life that they, they want to live and I don't want to ever stop that. But, Letting people know that, hey, if you ever want to try something slightly different um, or go down to your local brewery and taste something, um, that option's there for you. Um, and, you know, you might enjoy it, you might not, but, you know, give it a go. And even that mindset is hard to get across to some people. But, um, yeah, we can't win everyone over, but, you know, it's uh, we're here if, we, if they need us. Oh, well, absolutely. And I think, as we've been saying before, the, the whole sort of craft beer world here in Australia anyway, I mean, globally, it's definitely changed. I mean, I was in Japan earlier this year and I couldn't get my head around, you know, how much they've embraced craft beer. I was just, I'm, mm. I was amazing. I've always, I've always enjoyed Japanese beers. And when I go there, I'm loving the, the convenience store crawl instead of the pub crawl. And so you just yeah. want to grab, grab a can and keep walking to the next convenience store, which is probably about 10 meters away. But, um, you know, they've really embraced uh, craft beer. And there was a little beer festival that they had sort of in the middle of uh, Shinjuku in Tokyo there. And so we we're just grabbing, you know, some some locally brewed beer. And it was really, really cool. And, and I can see that's definitely happening happening globally in general. So I think a lot of other countries are embracing this culture. So I think I think it's definitely, you know, locally here it's grown and I think as a result people are, are far more open-minded about, you know, just in general about their tastes and trying different things. Uh, so it's it's mm. definitely growing, it's getting better. And as you said, you'll never win everybody over, but I think it's it's definitely better than it's ever have, it have, ever has been in the past. Yeah, yeah. I, I Every time I come across a new bar or something, I, I realise how lucky we are. Um, you know, as a, as beer lovers, um, you know, I barely leave, need to leave my, my suburb here in Melbourne. Um, I'm in Footscray and there's, I've got one brewery and one opening up soon and there's, you know, half a dozen really good places to get, you know, to have a drink. Um, and they're all, you know, they're all slightly different, but they, they all have something good to drink there now, which is, um, awesome. Whereas, yeah, 10 years ago, it would have been the same beer in every pub. So, you know, it's really exciting. There's so much choice and, um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's great. I live down the south coast these days, so I'm a li- uh, as far as you know, craft beer. It's um, it's a little bit more uh, fewer and far between. Um, th- but there's definitely that sort of stuff popping up, even sort of regionally now, where people are sort mm. of embracing and, and slowly coming to terms with oh, there's there's other beers out there instead of your mainstays. Um, but I was up in in the inner west of Sydney um, a little while ago and we were doing um, some band rehearsals in Marrickville and I used to live in Marrickville years and years ago and it was there was definitely bars and pubs and it was a great, you know, it's definitely been a, a great hub for creatives and musicians and, and all that sort of stuff but I was absolutely floored. I could not believe how much has changed over the last few years, especially with breweries opening up their own um, like brew pubs and just in the one street where I was rehearsing there was 
uh, a brew pub next door, like literally next door. And then at the end of the street, there was another one and they were absolutely packed. And I just thought, oh man, I certainly lived in Marrickville at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it's for the best because I probably wouldn't have any money left. But uh, yeah. it was fantastic to see these these places pop up and they are becoming more frequent in, you know, uh, in volume around, around the country and especially in, obviously in metro areas, but you're definitely noticing, um, places around the, around, around the whole country where they're sort of embracing this, uh, this really unique, well, it's not unique anymore, but, um, what has been a unique sort of, uh, take on drinking and enjoying beer. Mm, and people like going to a brewery, you know, even before this happened, if you went to a town that had a brewery and, you're, you were looking for something to do, you'd probably go check it out yeah. um, and, and try the beer. And, you know, I think that's something that has been key to this is a brewery is a fun place to go for some reason. I don't know if it's the stainless steel tanks that you get to look at, the the beers, but, you know, it's it's just good. It's a nice it's a nice place to drink and it's interesting. So, um, yeah, that certainly helped. Um, and the fact that they can be anywhere, you know, it's not like a winery where you have to leave town to go. Um, you can put one in any suburb or any town, and it, and it will work. Well, especially where you know a lot, it, it even adds to the charm of it all. Where a lot of these places are opening up, you know, I mean, they have to be in an industrial area because of just you know, it's it's actual, you know, it's a brewer. They've they've got to have a warehouse space. They've got to have somewhere to actually physically do the brewing. But to yep. be able to have this sort of setting in an in an industrial area is like i think that adds to the whole charm of you know you don't have to have this really sort of nice location um from you know the corner of a really sort of busy suburb where you know you're going to get the foot traffic and things like that people are actively searching out these places and um you know going into in, in an industrial area where there's nothing else around but there's this amazing, mm. amazing brew pub um i think sort of it's um it's just definitely throwing everything upside down as far as where where you would normally tra- or where you would traditionally drink. And that's um, you know one of the interesting side effects of that is they end up in places where there are no pubs, and there's quite often you know suburbs with a lot of people living there that that have don't have a local drinking spot, and no one thinks to open up a pub around it because it you know there's no there's no foot traffic as you said, so you wouldn't open up a pub there, and so they open up a brewery. Um, in the warehouse, you know, a couple of blocks away, and then suddenly the locals have somewhere to drink. And I've seen that in a lot of outer suburbs here in Melbourne, where I sort of think, why are they, you know, why are they opening up a brew pub out there? It's middle of nowhere. And then they say, no, there's actually heaps of residents here that want something like this, and there's no pubs. So, uh, you know, that's re- that's really cool, and that's I guess another way to get people interested in the product is, you know, oh, there's a new pub down, a new brewery down the road. I'll go see what this is all about, and suddenly you're hooked. Do you think? Do you think that Untapped app has helped significantly uh, as far as people developing an interest um, around sampling and trying? And I mean, those little badges that you get on that app are so addictive. Just personally speaking, I have to. It's like as I said before, I. I I compare it to Pokemon Go and what a lot of young people sort of get fascinated with, with going around and collecting different Pokemon in different locations. It's, it's almost the same with this, with this app. It's, I absolutely love it. And do you think that it's had an impact with the way that people embrace it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's really helped. Um, And that, that definitely came along right at the start of of sort of my journey. Um, And it's, it's amazing to see how much it's grown. And, and there are people that use it that aren't even really big beer drinkers. Um, you know, I've had old coworkers um, and shielded 
pretty much just kicking different ciders and lagers that she had, um, which, I, you know, I, I didn't even really anticipate that she'd be using it, but she was using it as a social media, you know, hey, I'm here doing this, um, and her friends were doing the same, and, you know, whereas I just thought it was the hardcore beer geeks trying to trying to get all the badges, but, um, you know, it gets a lot of use, and I guess having even having people in that app using it gets them thinking about what they're going to drink and if they're going to drink something different. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's definitely helped. And, um, yeah, it's I, 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 I haven't used it for a while. I used to use it all the time, but <clears throat> I kind of fell out of the habit. Um, but I wish I still did cause it's a good way to keep track of everything really. Well, it definitely is. And I mean, I've, I've certainly seen, especially traveling overseas, it's been a lot of fun, especially when you go to parts of Europe where beer is just ridiculously cheap. And so unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the consumption increases ever so slightly, but you go through and start, you know, ticking off this list of, of beers and just, and just getting to sample all these, all these amazing beers, but sort of walking into a bar or a supermarket somewhere in, in another part of the world and sort of just starting at one end of the shelf and just gradually working your way along and, and, and just, you know, finding them in this app. And, and also I think another thing that I found really cool is that I think it's created a, a, another level of community within that world where you can find people that are in this, the same area or have been trying the same types of beers and you sort of connect with people via that platform. And I think that sort of helped encourage people to develop a further fascination to beer and to mm. understand more about it. So it's sort of, I mean, it's that whole, just, it's just social media in general, but um, I think it's definitely helped with bringing people together and just cultivating that, that fascination around it. Yeah. I remember I was in a, a beer garden in Belgium and I was telling um, a friend about the app who, who didn't use it. And I sort of said, you know, this is, this is what it's for and this is what it does. And a couple of people in the bar had been, looking at the app and seeing who else was in the beer garden and they saw that I was there and saw how many beers I had and sort of called out to me and said, oh, you know, you guys should check out this place down the road. And we ended up chatting and I still kind of keep in touch with them on, on various social media um, and they gave me some really good recommendations. So, you know, that was a really cool, uh, you know, real life example of, of why social media is really, really um, helpful in these situations. It's definitely, it's definitely um, been a really valuable tool not just for, for craft beer, but I think just for, for a lot of industries and especially a lot of niches where it's been, it's, it's a magnet, it's been able to draw people in and develop uh, or cultivate interests around niche things, you know, and so we're not sort of mainstream driven anymore as far as it's whatever's in the mainstream press and the way that things have been advertised to us and there's only certain a number of channels that we can, we can get our information from and now it's, you know, whatever you're interested in, you can find a community and Crafty is certainly one of those that um, has definitely benefited from the connectivity of, of the internet in general, but definitely social media platforms. Mm. I remember like, I grew up in a really small town in, in rural New Zealand and we had two TV channels um, and a lot of my friends only had one because they lived in a, you know, behind a mountain or something. Um, so in order to get, you know, in order to find people that were doing things that you were relate to, it was hard. I remember buying CDs um, and going through all the liner notes and seeing the bands that they thanked. <laughs> and that's how I'd find out about bands. If, yeah. you know, I see the same name pop up three or four times, like, all right, maybe I need to go down to my CD shop and ask them to order in that album. Um, and that was, you know, that was my only real way of finding new music. 
Um, so when you think of you know the internet now and you hear about a band and you can just pull up on Spotify instantly um, and then find you know their Facebook page and find communities immediately. It's um, you know, it's, it's awesome and and it's you know only great for for small small producers, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. I think um, and especially now it's getting it's getting to a point where you know there's there's algorithms in place to be able to link things together so you can get recommendations uh, you know without even thinking as well so you can start to see you know true true uh true recommendations that come through that actually do complement your tastes and your interests and mm. uh, it's just uh, it's a it's a crazy world we live in and it's definitely um it's it's interesting to see where it's all going but uh, yeah it's it's cool to see the impact that it's had on a lot of a lot of these sort of niche interests and industries that have definitely sort of grown and, and exploded uh, due to you know, these sort of tools being available to people. Mm. I Spotify, I don't know how it knows what I'm going to like, but it, man, it gets me. It really gets me. <laughs> I think Spotify knows me better than, than I know myself. <laughs> yeah. It, re- it recommends me like artists that have had less than a thousand plays. Yeah. And it's like, you might like this. I'm like, how do you, how would you know that? <laughs> like, you know, and then it turns out they're great, and yeah, I, uh, I you know, I've become a fan and check, start checking them out. So, yeah, it's um, it's and that, you know, that, I guess that is all this data we're putting out there. Yeah, it's probably not great that they're harvesting it that much, but hey, it, it has an upside. <laughs> oh, it does, and I think like anything, you know, when when there's change and and disruption of any sort, I think you you go from zero to a hundred, and you lean in one direction, and eventually over time it balances back out. So I think. I think while you know in certain aspects things aren't amazing, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of benefits at the moment, and it's a very exciting time to just be alive in general and just be mm. experiencing so many different things that are happening in the world around us. But um, I think a lot of stuff will will balance out in time when people get used to it and start to understand the benefits, and and uh, it won't just be sort of weighted in one area it'll be you know far more balanced out so everybody can can reap the benefits but um yeah it's it's cool it's it's amazing to see you know what it's done for a lot of people and and um yeah just that connective connectivity with um with people in every little pocket and you know from from a regional town to to a Mm. metropolis and you know and everywhere across the world it's 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 really incredible Mm. Mm. um I'm going to do a quick shift because I'm keeping you on the time, but I really have to talk about this one, uh, the Hypothetical Institute. So yes. I I was introduced to you indirectly through that podcast, and I've been a, a mate of Salty's for a long, long time now, and uh, so I've been a faithful listener of the podcast, and so I'm very familiar with your voice and, mm. and Cam as well. <laughs> and um, I absolutely love the podcast, and you know, you obviously having – Hell of a time as well, and doing that for quite some time. You've got, you've definitely got a lot of experience when it comes to podcasting. Um, where did was there a light bulb moment with the hypothetical as far as developing that concept and the three of you getting together and going, "This is something we want to do." Where did that all manifest from? Um, we've known each other for a while, and I think it's we all have similar senses of humour, um, and we all kind of enjoy the weird weird corners of the internet and we kind of found ourselves um you know and it kind of comes back to that when i was talking about the hour of a time podcast of almost scheduling a time to hang out with your friends um you know podcast is a great way to do that and then giving it structure of saying okay what do we you know we like to talk about these this weird world of conspiracies and um we started noticing some local 
conspiracy theorists popping up and we kind of wanted, we were watching the videos on YouTube and we thought, yeah, can we make this a, you know, a time to hang out and create some content, um, create a podcast. So that's pretty much how it started. It's, um, I think one thing that I've always loved the idea of, but I just logistically just sounds like a nightmare is, is having co-hosts and having people that you can converse with each week. And as you said, like, it's a great excuse to meet up with people and, you know, just mates and be able to just schedule in some time to, to do that. And obviously while you're there, you may as well do something, do something with that time. Um, mm. the, the thing that really sort of grabs me about this particular podcast is the banter backwards and forwards, the way that the three of you interact and the way that you sort of bounce off each other with, with jokes, but also with the topics themselves. And I think, you know, the fact that everyone goes away and does their research and comes back in and then you sort of trade facts and bits and pieces, well, facts on a very loose term, given, given, <laughs> given the podcast theme itself. But, um, it's yeah. just, it's, it's interesting to see the dynamic between the three of you because you are all similar in a way as far as what you like in your interests and, but you're very very different as far as your personalities as well. And it sort of works really, really well. And I think that's quite entertaining for, for a listener to be able to tune into. Mm. And that's something I, I remember learning early on, um, you know, doing a blog and everything was most of the time people aren't tuning in for the content itself. They're tuning in for the hosts mm. or they're reading your blog for, for you. Um, you know, they like your style and they like your stories. So quite often the actual framework is, is kind of secondary. Um, so, you know, as you said, it's the thing that I, I really enjoy doing is, yeah, sure, we're going to talk about X, you know, we're not talking about JFK, but, yeah, the the interplay and, and the jokes are the, the fun part, and that's, why I think, why people tune in because otherwise they can just look at Wikipedia. Um, so, you know, I think that's a good thing to remember with all content is if people are listening, it's, it's for you most of the time. Well, I'm certainly coming to terms with that, just doing my own podcast and understanding that eventually over time you, you develop an audience and people and your own, your own reputation itself, just from expressing you know, your thoughts and the way that you converse with people and that you, your guest or the person that you have on is, is a compliment to you, but it's not the primary driver as to why somebody would choose to listen to your podcast because you know, a lot of the time the person that's featured or the topic that's featured could be accessed in a, in a multitude of different ways through other formats. So it's that point of difference of why would they listen to it in this setting rather than a number of other ways as well. So mm. I think the the presenter or the people that are that are presenting it each week and and articulating in a particular way is really what the what the magnet eventually mm -hmm. is. Yeah, definitely. And and when you're when you're putting a podcast out there, you're competing with, you know, uh, comedians and celebrities, and you know it's a, a fiercely competitive world. So um, trying to, I guess, do something that's not natural or, or not you is, you know, you're gonna, you're not going to get anywhere because people are going to identify that pretty quickly. But once you start doing something genuine, people are going to start tuning in because most people like. You know, there are, people find things to like about other people quite easily. So, um, you know, I think that's, you know, when you think of the big podcasts, uh, that's the personality that the people are listening to. Yeah, definitely. And with with this particular show, it, it seems to be a bit of a magnet for the weird and wonderful. And <laughs> uh, I think you guys have really sort of embraced and taken ownership of the term cooked units. 
and I <laughs> yep, yep. certainly find myself using it in uh, in uh, everyday conversations <laughs> if I'm referring to particular <laughs> yeah. people. Um, it just rolls off the tongue. It is just so easy to use. Oh, sorry, my doorbell's just rung. Hang on. That's okay. That is an amazing doorbell, by the way. Sorry, it's the guy to kick my fire alarm. No, no worries. Smoke I, alarm. I was going to say that's an amazing doorbell. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's quite loud. It rings. <laughs> um, it rings by itself sometimes. Oh right. Um, and there's about three or four different rings that it has just randomly, so it scares the hell out of you sometimes. <laughs> so in the middle of the night, you hear it ringing. Oh. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, with the cook units thing, I was just going to ask, like with the topics that you guys cover and you do refer to particular people out there and comments that are made by individuals, do you, mm. do you attract a bit of unwanted, well, not unwanted, but do you attract a little bit of attention from some of these, some of these people that you talk about? Not as much as I'd like, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> not much at all. I, I you know, I, I really love getting, uh, getting engaged and, and, and sort of, you know, having a bit of fun with it all. Um, and, you know, I, I post quite a bit on social media, uh, on Twitter, you know, from that account, trying to trying to get people riled up. And it doesn't really happen. So, I don't know, we'll, we'll get their attention one day. Um, but there's, and then there's also the element of a lot of these people um, are probably dealing with some issues that, you know, it, sometimes I do feel bad uh, that we're kind of making fun of them because um, there are some probably pretty serious mental health issues happening in, in a lot of, a lot of the, the brains of these conspiracy theorists. So it's kind of kind of two-sided in that regard. Um, and I think we try and – we definitely try and avoid the sort of unhinged oh, – that's probably an unfair word um, – people struggling, hmm. smoke, smoke alarm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, and, you know, people like Alex Jones and stuff that are just generally trying to fleece people. Um, are, are more interesting to focus on, or well, people that are, are causing harm to others, uh, which a lot of these conspiracy theorists are doing now. Mm. They're getting out in the real world and, and harassing people. So, you know, I kind of want to. Uh, I enjoy trolling them and trying to get a reaction from them because they're doing things that are pretty abhorrent sometimes. Yeah, it's um, it's something that I've certainly had a little bit of a taste of in the past, where there's. You, it could go either way because you. There's definitely an entertainment aspect to it where it's really fun and can be quite funny as well to really sort of talk about a lot of this stuff. But then, as you said before, you know, depending on the person or the topic, um, it can get quite sensitive as well. And so there has to be sort of this balance of ensuring that you're not um, giving a particular individual too much of uh, a soapbox to be able to talk, or you know, or encouraging. Um, behavior that might be stemming from some some mental issues some some mm. you know some some actual concerns that this individual might have and, and it's very difficult because i you know i've got to rein myself in every once in a while and i think oh that that'll be a good person to talk to and then i go oh, yeah i don't know because i don't know if i want to be an, an an enabler of um particular type of behavior from from an individual but it's 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 really interesting to to sort of approach Mm, definitely. Um, and I, yeah, something that I guess, and, and even the nature of some of the stuff we talk about, you know, um, Nazis come up quite a bit and yeah, it's fun to, to have a laugh at Nazis or, you know, joke kind of at their expense, but then you realize that the actual topic is, is pretty horrific. Um, and so, you know, where's that line between just kind of having a laugh at, at them? Cause, 
you know, they don't deserve our respect versus making light of a, a pretty horrendous situation. Um, yeah, and that, that's a balance. We, we certainly edit stuff out, which we kind of listen back after the fact and go, oh, it's probably not that appropriate or, you know, that might be quite offensive to someone. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Yeah, and I think I think it all comes down to how you position, you know, the overall, you know, uh, show itself. And I think you guys do a really good job of sort of positioning in a way that sort of puts a not a filter but a light or a certain shade on on what the podcast is all about so then i think it gives you guys a little bit more flexibility to to have a joke at times and it just allows a little bit more to work with than people getting the wrong idea from what you're saying because i think people already understand what the podcast is all about coming into it yeah yeah definitely and I think, um, you know, there's always going to be a consideration, but yeah, people, people know that we're coming, I think from a, a good place, a respectful place and a place where we want to actually want to highlight how horrible a lot of these people are. Um, and then, you know, also enjoy, like we, a big part of why we like conspiracy theories is they're fun to talk about. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting topic to talk about aliens and, and are they out there? And I think a lot of people genuinely, believe some of these theories, um, you know, things like the moon landing. I think if you were to poll, I don't know, a hundred of our friends, some of them might say, oh, maybe it was fake. Um, and it's kind of fun to talk about that. <laughs> so, yeah. It's amazing, I think. And going back to the whole social media thing, it's definitely highlighted or amplified um, a lot of people's opinions and thoughts on different things. And a lot of stuff that probably would never come up in conversation, you know, when you're out and about, suddenly is being expressed on in a social media feed and you go, oh, my God, did you, do you really think that? Oh, my God. Yeah. And so it's um, <laughs> it's quite funny to, to see, you know, that people that we – we associate with friends and family and colleagues. Um, a lot of, a lot of people got some pretty wacky ideas about life. So it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's right. cool to, it's cool to talk about a lot of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, and actually sitting down to explore, it's interesting as well, because, you know, for all this talk of moon landing might be faked. How many people have actually sat down and, and looked at it? Um, or, you know, JFK, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably have some, some belief that something, dodgy happened but have we ever actually gone actually what are the facts here um and that's that's been really fun to do as well yeah well i'm going to put uh links up to everything the the million things that you're involved with um I'm, great when i um obviously with my love of beer but um on a very sort of basic level in comparison to what you've been doing over the last several years but when i started looking into it and just seeing all the stuff that you do it's um it's quite inspiring because I'm, I'm a, a lover of productivity and trying to get stuff done and doing lots of different things on a day-to-day -day basis. And you're certainly one of those people that's um, doing good things in that domain. So it's, uh, it's very interesting to, to be able to have a chat and dig into a little bit of your world as well. So I'll have uh, links to all the podcasts, uh, the book, so people can check out the book. Is the book pretty much available everywhere, Neil? Yeah, it's um, every every bookshop I think that I, I've seen has it. Um, you know, if it's a general bookshop, they they should have it. Um, but all the big, big ones do, or you can you can get it online easily enough as well. So yeah, yeah. sounds good. I'll have uh, have links to alloftheTime dot com and uh, yeah, the book is actually we keep referring to the book, but the book's actually called Keg Bottle Can. So if yep. uh, anyone is curious, but uh, they can go and check out all the the usual spots for uh, information and you know, the old show notes, as you'd be well familiar with uh, having a couple of podcasts yourself 
Yeah, I've actually stopped doing show notes. Oh, have you? Oh, oh, well, so much work. I, I will not even start on that. We'll be here for another hour of me just whinging about how horrible show notes are. But I'll, yeah, have, I, them, I, I'll have them nonetheless. I, I appreciate it. All right, mate. Well, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, we'll chat soon. I'll have to come down and have a beer. And uh, I promise, uh, well, I shouldn't say this, but I'll promise to have a beer that um, has um, you know, a little bit of credibility to it. As long as you're enjoying it, as I said. Um, thank you so much for having me on. I also enjoy your podcast. It's, it's kind of cool to be on the show as well. So thanks so much. Cheers, 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 cheers. If you want to reach out to Luke and talk beer, you can go to aleofatime.com or you can search for Ale of a Time on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, I'll also put links up for the Hypothetical Institute. Everything will be in the show notes over at andysocial.net. And I, I realize now that for most people, if you're listening from a mobile device through a podcast player, you can usually scroll up or click on the actual show notes in your player. And a lot of this stuff is clickable links anyway. So it saves you having to actually go over to the website, which you know you can still do because there's lots of great stuff over there. But uh, if you want to get quick access to any of these guests, that's the best way of doing it. And all the tags and links and everything will be in the show notes there. So thank you so much, Luke. Really enjoyed chatting beer and I'm looking forward to having a physical beer sometime in the near future. All right, folks, a bit of a Lord update for you all. Massive, 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 massive thank you to everybody that came out last weekend and saw us play day two of the Steel Assassins Festival at the Boarface Stag. Really, really cool night. We had a lot of fun. It was great to see a lot of old friends, uh, get introduced to a lot of new people as well. It's still a trip to have people come up to me and say that they've discovered the band or myself from this podcast. Um, just really, really cool. And it was just nice to meet so many people face to face and put names to faces, you know, the drill. So it's been a really, really cool night. We had a lot of fun and it's definitely energized us going into 2019. Uh, we've got this new album that's coming out, which I'll mention in a moment. Um, but we're really sort of pumped up and, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing where it all goes. Um, before I get into that, I was just going to say another quick comment as well. Um, Kind of cool, but kind of sad that um, we are one of the last uh, bands and, and shows that um, will be at the Boarface Stag under the title The Boarface Stag. Um, as you guys would know, Crowbar in Brisbane has now taken over The Boarface Stag as of December, and uh, it'll now be called Crowbar Sydney. So it's pretty exciting times for live music in Sydney. We desperately need some further support, so I'm looking forward to seeing what Trad and the team do down here with their branding. Um, they've definitely put in a lot of hard yards over the last several years up in Brisbane. have really built a reputable uh, business and brand um, up there, so it's, it should be really good down here in Sydney. I'm looking forward to supporting that. So definitely a, a uh, an interesting time in, in music and to be one of the last bands to play at the Ballface Stag under its current uh, title um, is is kind of cool. It's kind of nice. The end of an era. So time to move on and, uh, and a new leaf, turning over a new leaf and a new page. So looking forward to seeing what the guys do um, with Crowbar Sydney. So really, really cool. Um, getting back to Lord, new album. Artwork is 100% done. Um, we're just putting some final touches on some of the uh, vocals, and I think there's a couple of guitar solos left over, but that's pretty much it. We're done. Um, the time of this coming out, this uh, episode, this weekend, we are filming a video clip or a couple. I don't know. It depends on time. Uh, this Sunday out in Western Sydney, somewhere. Um, I won't say too much more, but um, yeah, we're looking forward to getting out there and getting some visuals happening and getting this whole campaign ready to go, but um, hopefully we'll have an announcement 
uh, hopefully by the end of the month and then uh, more than likely have the actual release date early in 2019 and then a well at least an Australian tour probably late March early April and then we'll go from there but um, lots and lots of stuff happening I'm really going to be asking for a lot of support from the anti-social faithful um, and I'll be giving you guys more details and some exclusives along the way as I get more information so really really exciting times um a bit frustrating at the moment because I can't really talk a lot about what's going on because it's all sort of half cooked at the moment or thir- three quarters cooked. And um, But once I have a bit more information, I'll be able to share it. But um, I'm excited. We're all just chomping at the bit to get this out and get this whole thing moving again. It's been a while since we've really, really been out there active. And um, just the, these two shows uh, in the tail end of this year have been good reminders to us that, um, you know, it's, it's time to get back out there and, and really play a lot more shows and share a lot of new music with you guys. But there's, um, there's a lot of grand plans, uh, in the works. So looking forward to sharing all that with you. ASAP. Anyway, that's enough of me for this week. Thank you so much for all the continued support, all the usual stuff, the recommendations, the messages of encouragement, the social media love, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it means a hell of a lot to me. So thank you as always. Keep those guest recommendations coming. Um, I'm trying to get into 2019 now and build a bit of a bank up. Um, I'm not going to do any breaks this year. So last year I had all of January off. I will not do that this year. I'm just going to run all the way through. So we'll just keep this train a-rolling. But until next week, folks, thank you very much. Take care and ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please.